Dear Lord, we do love you. We've come here because we love you. We've come here to worship you. You are worthy of all of our praises, spoken with our lips and lived with our lives. Lord, may the words that are spoken from this pulpit today be ones that point to Jesus and glorify you. Enlighten our hearts and encourage our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our message today uh, is one that is, uh, or versions of it, are preached around the world. This is actually uh, the passages for today were selected as part of the lectionary that is used around the world as the scriptures that Christians in tens of thousands of churches will be focusing on for today. I like to use those when I visit other churches these days because it makes it easier for me to pick a passage. I don't have to pick. Somebody else gets to pick for me. But I love the fact that uh, today's lesson is one that reminds us that there is a close connection between the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, and the New Testament, the 27 books that focus on the life of Jesus and the ministry of the church. There are various ways of finding connections. There are various connections that can be found between the Old and the New Testament. Uh, one of those is the, uh, that that we focus on today, and that is of promise and fulfillment. A prophecy, God's uh, word given in advance to provide hope for his people, and then the actual fulfillment of that word today. Some Christians throughout history have tried to follow the example of uh, a man named Marcion, a Christian from centuries ago, who said that the Old Testament actually was a problem. We should throw it out and focus only on the New Testament. Marcionite Christians, I think, are really uh, Christians that are missing something precious and something important. When we look in the pages of the Old Testament, if we look through eyes of Christian faith, we find words of hope uh, that we do in fact worship a God who makes promises. And then as we read the New Testament, we see that we also worship a promise-keeping God. There is a God. He does speak. He speaks words of hope. And those words are sprinkled throughout the Old Testament and uniformly they point to promises that are either already fulfilled most supremely through the life of Christ and the church, but also to promises that extend to the very end of the human experience here on earth in human history. Today, along with churches across the world, we'll be looking in the book of Ezekiel, it first, first off, as one of our passages, Ezekiel chapter 35. And uh, one of these interesting passages uh, given to us by one of the most unusual prophets of the Old Testament. Ezekiel was a very odd person in his day. Uh, the good news is God uses odd people too. That's in part why I am here today. I'm left-handed and I love Hebrew and I love reading backward and stuff like that. Uh, so God uses unusual people. Uh, Ezekiel was a guy who, uh, under the Lord's leadership, once uh, gave himself a haircut, public, a public haircut, with a sword. That's an unusual kind of thing. 
he allowed himself to be tied up and plunked down in his front yard in front of a, um, a map of Jerusalem for a year, and he preached to that map, that little model of Jerusalem, for a year. Most people would not be content to do that kind of thing. Ezekiel was an unusual man. But he also was willing to speak words of uh, great hope uh, in, in his day. And, uh, and we see this then in, uh, in his word. Uh, let's see if I can find the right spot here. Is this, could it be Isaiah? It is Isaiah chapter 35. And uh, wow, it's been a busy week. Okay. Uh, thank you. And uh, the prophet Isaiah is unlike the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, he was the prince of prophets, as he's called. And um, he was the one who lived in Jerusalem, was a relative to the king, and spoke royal promises. One of which is that which we find in Isaiah. Isaiah, forget about Ezekiel. Uh, we're starting again. Isaiah chapter 35. Uh, beginning in verse 3. And uh, beautiful, beautiful words. Isaiah was speaking words of hope to a people who were uh, under the boot of the Babylonians. They were, uh, in, in Isaiah's day, the Israelites were uh, facing trouble from the Iraqis. They, uh, that nation the Iraqi nation, known in those days as the Babylonians, was ultimately going to conquer the nation of Israel. Trouble lay ahead, and it would be uh, trouble that would ultimately result in the destruction of the capital city of Jerusalem. It would result in the burning of the temple. It would result in the deportation of those few people who survived two and a half years' worth of oppression in war from the Babylonian government and armies. They had not yet experienced that. The nation had not, but the day would come when they would. Isaiah, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had these words to say uh, to that nation. But as only God could fashion these words, not only did they speak words of hope, to the people of uh, Israel in the Old Testament era, they also pointed to Jesus at the same time, more or less a dual fulfillment kind of thing. And so uh, we see these words, Isaiah chapter 35, beginning in verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. Sometimes we face trials and people and opposition that is bigger than we are and more trouble, uh, and, and more trouble than we can deal with on our own. Isn't it good to know that we have a God who is bigger than any troublemaker, a God who is bigger than any problem our nation may ever have to face? whether it be uh, an enemy from the outside, an attacking foreigner, foreign power, 
or whether it be an enemy from within, those who have anti-Christian beliefs and try to push them over on on others uh, to the detriment of society. Uh, People like that can create problems. They can weaken the knees of the people of God. They can uh, cause even the knees to shake. And yet, Isaiah, speaking this word of hope, says, Say to the cowardly, be strong. Do not fear. Here is your God. Payback, vengeance, is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. But then, looking beyond the immediate problems of the, uh, that Israel would face in Old Testament history days, the prophet looks forward to a day when the greatest Savior would come, when God himself would come to bring deliverance, for, uh, a kind of deliverance that would be very personal and uh, society and, in fact, life-changing one that would change the the course of the world's history. And we see this beginning in verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Pause there for just a moment. Isaiah is... uh, speaking words that were beyond anyone's ability to make happen, given the technologies, given the medical uh, advancements that were available to Israel in in the Old Testament period, 700 years before the time of Christ. One of the things I love about Big Creek Baptist Church, or Big Creek Presbyterian Church, Some of y'all are more Baptist than you know, uh, and I've seen it in you, uh, uh, even in one of your hymns this morning, but uh, you all have amazing medical personnel uh, that, have, uh, that are a blessing and have been for decades, uh, not only to this church, but to all of Northeast Missouri and certainly the city of Hannibal, and we are forever grateful for the, the medical community here. In the Old Testament, that which many of you have lived out in your careers or have family members who have, uh, they did not have access to in, in, in that time. Uh, hospitals did not exist. Uh, many of the medicines that we are able to use today had not been invented. They had no concept even of what, what a human cell was. They'd never seen a human cell as an isolated entity. Uh, And the concept, the the thought that a person who had uh, no capacity to see or extremely limited capacity to see would ever be able to see crisp leaves on a tree, for example, uh, to see clearly the faces of their loved ones was unthinkable in those days. If you were born blind or if you ever had some sort of an accident Uh, that damaged, impaired your eyesight or completely took it away, that's the way you lived for the rest of your days. It was impossible from an Old Testament perspective, given the realities of that day, for the eyes of the blind to be opened. And yet, the prophet, speaking under the inspiration of the Lord, said there would come a day 
when the eyes of the blind would be opened. And more than that, when the ears of the deaf would be unstopped. When those who um, could not hear would be able to hear. About three or four times a month, I get a postcard or a letter in the mail from Belltone asking me to, uh, to spend some money to get my ears fixed. Uh, and um, I keep telling myself every time I see these, I don't need that stuff yet. What was it you said, honey? <laughs> Those two are usually about two minutes apart, uh, so maybe someday I will. But uh, nonetheless, uh, it is true that in the Old Testament, if you ever had a decline in your hearing, or if you were ever born without the ability to hear, you just lived with it. People who can't hear well cannot speak well. So that uh, it is the, uh, usually the case that those who are uh, deaf will not be able to speak. And yet in verse 6, it says the, uh, the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Uh, those who've never been able to hear to learn how to speak through imitating the the words of their parents, the tones of their parents, the cadence of speech of their parents, will, would someday be able to have all of those blessings uh, yet again. Or maybe for the first time. There in verse 6 also it says, the lame will leap like a deer. Uh, all of these are promises given by God through the prophet Isaiah 700 plus years before the time of Christ in an age and in a society where there were no hospitals and there were no operations that could be performed to restore sight or hearing or to provide training for speech. And yet, uh, those are words that uh, would, be would have been mysterious to the people of uh, the prophet's day, but words nonetheless that through faith they believed would someday come true. The good news is that the God who created the universe with two words, uh, all the energy, let there be light, all the uh, electromagnetic waves, all the energy of the universe. Uh, we understand, by the way, these days that there's more dark energy than there is visible energy in our universe. We have no idea what dark energy is, but there's a lot more of that than there is the stuff that uh, is that which produces, among other things, visible light. But we, we, uh, the God who could create all of that, who is so big that, and so powerful that two words can create an entire universe, is also a God who is so personal that he can leave footprints in the sand as he walks along the shores of Galilee. We see in the New Testament the uh, another reality, another connection between the Old Testament and the New. We have the, the infinite God who is king of the universe in the Old Testament and who tolerates no misbehavior whatsoever and punishes it uh, in, uh, devastatingly. But we also have in the New Testament a picture of the very same God who is so personal that he walked among us and lived among us. We have a God who could create the ears and the eyes in the Old Testament. We have a God in the New Testament who healed those same ears and eyes when they got damaged, either through some birth defect or some accident. 
uh, either on the person's part or maybe inflicted upon that individual. So that when we turn to the pages of the Gospels, we have story after story of this infinite God who's now become finite, of this God who uh, created the universe and now becomes, for a time, a part of this little tiny planet, planet Earth, so small in the big scheme of things it doesn't even show up as a single dot on a computer screen in a map of the universe. An incredibly small planet, and yet here is our very creator God among us, and that God who made the eyes now healing the sin-damaged eyes of those around him. We see in uh, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31, these words as our second passage for today. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, and this would be uh, modern Lebanon today, Jesus went by the way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis, they brought to him, did a large crowd. There was a large crowd that followed him. Jesus was very influential for a few years in his adult life. They brought to him a deaf man who also had a speech difficulty uh, and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. Uh, the crowd had a member of their community uh, who had been raised by the community in all probability. Uh, by the way, in, in those days, villages typically, because people didn't have moving trucks or anything to move around, they uh, typically were composed of one large clan. Typical, typically a village would be uh, one clan, or de depending on the ravages of war, you might have several clans that had to come together to form a village. But usually it was mostly just all family members and if you've, uh, if you've been a part of a family that had uh, a member in somebody's, some cousin, some uncle or whatever's uh, kid who was born with a, a problem, everybody in the community knew, knew them and was probably related to that kid. And everybody tried to pitch in and help when mom and dad needed some help with that special needs kid. That's just the way good family, clan-style communities worked. And... Apparently, in one of the villages where Jesus was passing through, there was that kid in, in, in the community that everybody had helped with. Uh, in this case, it was a, a kid who could not hear well, was deaf. And everybody tried to help that kid learn how to talk, but he didn't know how to get the pitch right. He couldn't quite make the words sound normal. And if you've ever worked with a person who's been in that situation, you may know what I'm talking about. And um, he had, uh, they brought to him the village deaf man who also had a speech difficulty. And they begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. In the Old Testament, we do have the power, we do have that royal image of a God who is so powerful that he can bring the armies of heaven to bear against any, anyone and win every time. But in, in the pages of the New Testament, we have that God who cares so much for even that one person, uh, that second cousin in your village that uh, you grew up with and wanted to make fun of because they were the different kid, but your mom wouldn't let you make fun of them, uh, who cares more for that kid than even his parents do. 
And now the village has brought this one to the caring God, to the personal God, to the God who is willing to touch uh, even the troubled person in society. And so Jesus accepted this one who came to him, this one who really couldn't speak without embarrassing the people around him because of his inability to do it clearly. He took, Jesus took him away from the crowd privately. You know, I love that little start to that 33rd verse there in Mark chapter 7. Jesus took that deaf man away from the crowd privately. There are times when you don't want to be on a public stage when you've got a problem. The last thing you want is to have your problem magnified by having everybody stare at you and deal with uh, and w when you really need help, you really want help, but you don't want the whole world watching while you're dealing with this issue. Isn't it great that we have this little fraction of a verse here in Mark chapter 7, there uh, in, in this passage, verse 33, where Jesus took that one with a problem away privately and said, look, let's deal with this, just you and me. We have a God who is so personal that he knows our problems, and sometimes, and so beautifully, he takes us and says, I'm going to deal with this just between you and me, and we're going to get this fixed. Nobody else needs to watch. This is just between you and me. Whatever your issues may be, there is a high probability that the things that you'd like for God to help you with are things that you don't want the whole world to know about. In a world of Facebook and Instagram, uh, that's one of those kind of things that's harder and harder to keep private. But we all have issues that we really don't want everybody to know about, but we, but we do want God to know about, and we do want God to help us with. And Jesus took this, this man away into a private spot. And then he did something that uh, is kind of embarrassing for us in 2021, living in our Western society beginning in verse 33. After putting his fingers in the man's ear and spitting, he touched his tongue. Jesus used some of his spit and placed it on the tongue of this, this individual who had an unfixable problem. Now, we would not, I don't know of any doctor that would do that today. Uh, maybe not. Even in a third world country, I've never heard of this kind of medicine being practiced in the 21st century. But I will tell you that it has a deep connection to the Old Testament, and it's one that maybe we can appreciate a little bit more, even though our medical community would not do something like this today. Do you remember in the Old Testament when um, someone selected by God would be set apart by a prophet or by the high priest for great service to God, either as a king or as the successor high priest. Before that individual would be set apart publicly uh, for, uh, and assume the role as king or uh, judge or whatever the role might be, uh, that individual would have olive oil poured on their head. They'd have a liquid poured on their head. That liquid, which doesn't have any particular shape to it, it, it uh, liquids don't have a, a fixed shape to them, 
would come down onto the head of the individual and would be a symbol of the presence of God coming upon that individual. A liquid being used to symbolize the presence and power of God, the enabling power that would turn a mere human being into a worthy king, that would turn that kid who um, didn't get diaper trained until he was, uh, or trained, potty trained until he was five, into a worthy high priest that would oversee the spiritual needs of his community and his society for the rest of his days. There was a transformative power in that liquid that was placed upon the head of a future king or a future high priest. And it it had to be administered by the right authorized individual, but once that liquid was placed upon that individual, he he would always be different, both in the role that he would perform, but also in the power of God that would come upon him and enable him to do the work that a a God-empowered individual needed to do. Within that tradition, apparently, and we don't have other examples of this kind of thing happening, the idea was that a holy man could use his own, uh, who, who did in fact have the power of God in him, could take some of his own fluid in a need, needful situation and could use that fluid to transfer the power of God to another individual. It's the only time we see this recorded in Scripture, but that is in all likelihood the, the best analogy that we can come up with to explain why Jesus did what he did. We're not just talking about a holy priest here who used some of his spit or a man with the amazing gift of healing that would have been given to him by God. We're talking about the Lord God himself in human form using some of his own liquid to touch and transform forever the life of another being. He took him away from the crowd privately, and after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha. Uh, in the Aramaic language, this word would have been pronounced Ipateach, okay, Ephatha. Uh, and uh, Jesus spoke the language of his community. One of the beautiful truths of the, of the New Testament is that when God became a human being, he actually had to learn a human language and to speak a human language. I don't know what language God spoke when he created the universe into existence, uh, but I will tell you that when he was among his people in the New Testament, he spoke the language that everybody around him spoke. He spoke their language. One of the reasons we have Bible translations today, and I was, I was privileged to work on three different Bible translations, but one of the reasons that we have Bible translations today is because we see in Jesus the example of speaking the language of the people who need to hear the word of God. Jesus learned our language and spoke it eloquently in his day. Bible translations today Uh, are not left in the Greek, the Aramaic, and the Hebrew languages. Uh, The Bible translations today are brought into 21st century English, if we're going to do it and, and communicate clearly to the people of our day.
Jesus, speaking in Aramaic, said, as the Greek transliterates it, ephatha. And then in parentheses, at least in my version of the Bible, uh, translating exactly from the Greek, because uh, apparently many who read the Gospel of Mark were not native Aramaic speakers. These are probably Romans who spoke Latin as their first language in other parts of the Roman world in the empire. Uh, we have this parenthetical translation, be opened. In fact, ifatha in the Aramaic language means be opened. Immediately, it says in verse 5, the man's ears were opened, his speech difficulty was removed, and he began speaking clearly. There's more than one miracle at play here. Not only was there a restoration of damaged um, cochlear parts or whatever might have been a part of uh, the man's hearing problem, but we also have uh, speech therapy, <laughs> and what would have been typically months or years worth of speech therapy performed instantly so as to allow this individual to speak clearly uh, so that he could be completely understandable to the people around him. Uh, the power of God, when it enters into an individual, is transformative, and it is capable of clearing up any problem instantly that, that a person might have. Many times, God has healed people even around us today. He doesn't always do them instantly. In fact, most of the time, my experience is that when God heals an issue, it's through a process that takes a rather considerable amount of time. Many times when God chooses to heal, he does it through the medical community. But there are times, and, and this is a superb example in the Bible, when God also does things so quickly, so perfectly, that all around people are stupefied. They can't believe what God was able to do. How did this person get, how, how did this happen? This person is different, they're better. And they didn't have to pay any insurance, medical insurance to get it fixed. They didn't have to go through years worth of therapy to get to this point. God fixed it. Those, those are high-profile miracles. They're rare, but Jesus performed in, in innumerable instances uh, of those in the New Testament. Immediately his ears were opened, his speech difficulty was, was removed, and he began to speak clearly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he would order them, the more they would proclaim it. They were extremely astonished, was the crowd, was the village that helped raise this kid. He's done everything well. He even makes deaf people hear, and people unable to speak talk. That concludes the chapter, and really our focal passage from the Gospels for today, but uh, it, it's a powerful reminder of the God that we serve. In the Old Testament, we have a God, not in the prophet Ezekiel, but in the prophet Isaiah, um, who heard a word from God that gave hope to his generation, but also hope to future generations, to uh, ones that would, uh, to a people who would not be around for another 700 years but who would witness exactly what the Isaiah had foreseen in his visionary word of one who would come and heal a needy person 
beyond any human help. That same word of hope that Isaiah spoke, that same word that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus, is a word that encourages us today and reminds us that the God that we serve, the God that brought us into this room together today, is the same God who spoke words of promise and fulfilled them, and who also fulfilled them very personally to bring about a healing in a man who could not have been touched by any other being. May we always remember that uh, that's the God we serve. He is infinitely large and powerful. He creates the eyes, but then when they get broken through sin uh, and a broken in, in our broken universe, he also fixes them. Praise be to the Lord. May God add the blessing on his word today.